Amen. I want to turn your attention to our text, John 12 and then John 20. We're going to continue our thought from last week. Last week was Easter, didn't it? It feels like it was a month ago. This week has been a long week. I don't know about you, but believe it or not, this time last week we were preaching on Easter and, and uh, Jesus was coming out of the grave and all that good stuff. Well, we're going to continue in that thought and we're going to pick up in Scripture one week after Easter. And so in keeping with our series from last week, <clears throat> John 12 and 21, the same came, after, uh, came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Last week I preached to you, I need to see Jesus. Now today I want to preach to you from John in 20. We would see Jesus. John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. They saw the Lord. Verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So this verse is referring to what we just read. Jesus has appeared to the disciples through a shut door, and they were glad when they saw him. He showed them his hands and his side, but Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 25, The other disciples therefore said unto Thomas, We have seen the Lord. <clears throat> but he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nail, and thrust my hand into the side, I will not believe. Verse 26, And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. This time, Thomas is there. I don't know what Thomas was doing the first time, but he, he made it there on the second. He's there with them. Then came Jesus, again, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands, reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, Jesus says, and be not faithless but believing. And verse 28, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. We're continuing, I hear that amen. <clears throat> We're continuing our thought from last week, we would see Jesus and you've all heard the phrase, doubting Thomas. I'm not preaching that message today. I'm preaching believing Thomas. Believing Thomas. You may be seated. Give me an amen every once in a while down there. Amen. Last week was Easter. Easter is over now. The capture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is over. The brutal treatment from the Roman soldiers is over. The trial that found him guilty, it's over. The torturing of his body 
is over. Him hanging on an old rugged cross is over. The bleeding wounds from his head, his hands, his feet, his side, it's over. The burial of his body in a grave, it's over. Even the search for his body that we preached last week when Mary Magdalene made it to the tomb and it was empty, even that's over. Yes, Easter is over. It's now a week later. And in our scripture text that we read just now, it's a week later after Easter. It's a week later, and the question is now, what's next? Easter's over, but what's next? It is the Apostle John's writings that provides for us the most complete and comprehensive picture of the week that followed Easter and the sequences of events. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke all report somewhat on the post-resurrection events, it is the book of John that goes into specific detail in his account of how Jesus literally continues his ministry for a short season before he ascends up into heaven. According to our text in John, Jesus is convening a sort of family reunion with his disciples the week after his resurrection. John tells us that he's already been seen by the disciples during the course of that previous week, but he says Thomas wasn't there. So it was as if Jesus intentionally calls another meeting so that every one of his disciples could be securely, steadfast, and invested in the idea that he is fully raised from the dead. Jesus did not ascend up into heaven until all of his disciples saw him that he was raised from the dead. Now that makes an impression upon me. He could have ascended with only 11 of them hearing about it. But he didn't do that. He calls another meeting and he says all 12 need to be there. This time Thomas is there. Can I say at the outset of this message that every believer matters. Every person matters. You matter to Jesus today. You say, oh, I, I don't know about that. You, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Can I tell you, you matter to Jesus. Every individual matters to Jesus. It is not his will, the Bible says, that any should perish. It's not his will that anybody be disconnected or lost. See, Jesus loves every one of us. Each one of us. He wants to meet with you specifically today. You say, how is it I'm that important? Jesus wants to take time to talk to you today. If this, if this message doesn't point anything else out to me, I love that Jesus dials in, focuses in. He makes a beeline for Thomas as if no one else is there. You know, that speaks volumes to me because sometimes we're Thomas in the room. Sometimes we missed out on the other meeting. 
Sometimes we weren't around when God did this or that or we missed out on this or that and, and we're, we're Johnny come lately or Tommy come lately to the party, right? And we discount ourselves and, well, pastor, if you knew my story, I don't really qualify for his attention. No, it's as if Jesus says, no, Thomas, I'm here for you, for you. Can I tell you, if you're hearing me today, you matter to Jesus. You matter. Now, I also have to add, it's still up to you to make the choice. You can choose to hear him calling you today, or you can choose to reject him. But from Jesus' perspective, it's his intent that you have his attention. You have his attention. If you need him today, you've got God's attention. Isn't that great to know you don't have to have a certain last name? You don't have to live in a certain part of town? You don't have to have come from a certain pedigree or have a certain life story or have anything. You matter to Jesus. There's not a lot we read in Scripture about Thomas outside of what a doubter he was. What a bad rap in Scripture. He's known for one thing, basically. Way to doubt, Thomas. You ever feel like that? Just kind of a bad rap in life sometimes. Like, I can't catch a break. If you're here feeling that way today, I'm sorry you do feel that way, and I hope you don't really feel that way. But if you do, can I tell you, Jesus called a second meeting for you. Jesus came back and brought everybody back together, not because the other 11 hadn't already seen him. They had. He brought them back together because Thomas hadn't seen him. I'm so thankful for the love of God for a Thomas because sometimes I'm Thomas. Sometimes you're Thomas, and we missed out, and we didn't quite make the cut, and we didn't somehow qualify for everything. And Jesus says, oh, I love you, Thomas. I want you to know. I want to connect with you, Thomas. Aren't you glad for a God that loves Thomases? Amen. And if your name is Tom here today, you're getting a lot of attention today. He refused to even ascend up to heaven without giving Thomas the opportunity to hear his voice, see his hands, and make the choice for himself. In other words, Jesus wasn't willing to end it until everybody had a chance. The Bible says he's even put off his second coming till everyone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the love of God that he's not about to quit on you? He's not about to give up on me. Even when we're Thomas and when we look at this passage that we read of Jesus' second meeting with the disciples, it details Thomas's reaction and response. And I'm going to give you a different perspective other than just doubting. Amen. I want to give you three things that Thomas's response tells me in Scripture. Number one, Thomas has his own personal relationship and experience with Jesus. Listen, church, we got to have our own personal 
relationship and experience with Jesus Christ. Picture this. The other disciples have come and they have found Thomas and they tell him, listen, you can trust us. We're bros. We're in this together. We've been hanging for a while. You can trust us. We've seen Jesus. And Thomas was like, I love you, but I'm not hearing it from you. Watch this. They say, Jesus is returned from the dead. He's alive, Thomas. He lives again. And what comes next for so many Christians has come to define Thomas for them. And what sounds like on the surface to be the height of suspicion and doubt and even unbelief, Thomas utters the infamous words, until I see the nail print in his hands and the wounds on his side, I will not believe. And we've now immortalized Thomas as the forever doubting disciple of Jesus Christ. And I've come to tell you that's the furthest thing from the truth. And so Thomas is labeled as this doubter, but actually Thomas was not disbelieving. He was saying in his own words, I want to believe, but I have to believe the way you believed. Follow me. Stay with me. In our text, he makes an incredible point to the 11 disciples. He says, wait a second, I love you, but you were already with Christ earlier in the week. You're telling me what you're telling me because you've already seen the nail prints. You've already seen the gaping hole in his side. You've already seen all these things. That's how you can tell me these things. You're not telling me this based on what someone told you. You saw it for yourself. In other words, Thomas is saying, I'm entitled to see it for myself just like you did. I'm entitled to a personal experience just like you had. I will not serve God on your relationship. He says, I want to know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings, just like you did. And just a few days earlier than this meeting, they saw his nail prints. They saw him resurrected. They are now excited. Thomas, you got to come see. He's alive. He's alive. He's like, yeah, I know, but I need to see it for myself, just like you saw it. Thomas wasn't nearly doubting as much as we think he was. He was simply saying, I want to believe, but on my terms and see him like you did. Why is that important? You need to have a relationship with Jesus other than your mom and dad, other than grandma and grandpa, other than your siblings, other than your relatives that are in this. And I'm thankful for the great, the great family of God, but you need to have a relationship with Jesus because grandma isn't going to be able to cover you forever. And daddy and mama isn't going to cover you forever. You've got to have a relationship and an experience with Jesus all on your own, Thomas. You've got to see the nail print hands. You've got to see the, the suffering that he went through, Thomas. Oh, Thomas says, oh, guys, we were all there when he fed the 5,000. And we were all there when he healed the sick. We were all there when he gave sight to the blind. We were all there when the lepers were cleansed. We were all there when Lazarus had to come out of the grave. 
But if you're going to expect me to have the same excitement and exuberance and enthusiasm that you have, get me to Jesus. Get me to Jesus. I love you, Peter, but you can't save my soul. I love you, James and John, but you can't do for me what one look at Jesus can do. Get me to Jesus. Oh, Calvary, I can I tell you, we still got to get to Jesus today. I'm thankful for heritage. I'm thankful for a family that's living for God elsewhere. But I got to get to Jesus. I got to see Jesus for myself. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's as if Thomas was saying, you don't understand, my brethren. I've got to have the same experience. I've got to be equally convinced because later on while I'm preaching and traveling, somebody's going to say to me possibly, how do you really know that Jesus was raised from the dead? And I'm not going to be able to turn to them and say, well, I've got some good friends that told me he did. I've got some good brethren that I really love them and I, I know they're credible, but they told me Jesus. And Jesus even said, I'm going to ask a lot of you, Thomas. I'm going to ask a lot of you disciples and I need you to come and feel and see and touch and know me. I need you to be convinced because I'm going to ask a lot of you. Listen, we're living in a culture where there's going to be a lot required of the church and nothing short of seeing Jesus is going to get us through. This idea of somebody else wants to told me this and somebody had a good idea no you got to see Jesus for yourself you got to know Jesus for yourself can I get an amen in the house today somebody that got to know Jesus for yourself hallelujah oh we would see Jesus and Thomas says I love you brethren but I've got to be able to see Jesus for myself Thomas was not nearly the doubter that we've painted him to be. He's just saying, give me the same experience you had. Let me have the same experience you had. He says, I want my own story. Saints, we've got to have a first-hand experience. I'm thankful for the old stories that I grew up on. And, and a lot of them, we don't hardly even relate to what the terms are anymore. Years ago, you heard terms like brushed harbor, days. We've heard those terms, and we don't know nothing about that. We're, we are so uh, disconnected from those times. But I'm thankful, for their, I'm thankful for their testimonies. I'm thankful for Azusa Street. I have to go online to look it up. I wasn't there. That was 100 years ago. I'm thankful for their testimony. I'm thankful for a good church that I grew up in, a good Bible-teaching apostolic church. And I've told you some stories. We were half crazy sometimes. And I'm thankful for the heritage I grew up in. I'm thankful that I was exposed to the truth of God early in life. I'm thankful for a pastor that never wavered in the truth. I'm thankful for parents and, and a family of God that didn't walk away from God and walk away from truth. I'm thankful for that but at some point this little nine year old boy had to come and find an altar for myself I had to come find Jesus for myself and I've had to find him a whole lot of times since then too 
It wasn't a one and done deal. It wasn't a once saved, always saved. Amen. It was, oh God, I got to get back to the cross. <laughs> I got to find you again, Jesus. Uh, even recently, I've had to steal away time with him and say, oh God, I need a word from you. I need to hear you, not, not a preacher, not some televangelist, not even a text from somebody else. Jesus, I need to hear from you. We would see Jesus. Oh. See, Thomas needed to be able to speak with confidence when he's preaching later on. This isn't a story I heard. First-hand experience. I'm not retelling somebody else's retold story. I'm not liking and sharing somebody else's post. I was there. I saw it. I saw him. And so when Thomas says, I won't believe unless I touch and I feel and I see, he was simply saying, I want the same experience that you cats have had. And I love too, it wasn't just I want my own random experience. He was literally saying, I want the same experience. Can I just stop right here and hang out in apostolic land? We need to find our doctrine and hold to it. And I'm not backpedaling on that statement. We need to be apostolic. We need to be holiness. We need to be Holy Ghost filled. We need to be Jesus filled. We need to be love filled. And not because somebody else told us, but because in 2021, the scripture is still true. Either it's in the Bible or it's not. And if it's in the Bible, let's keep preaching it. Let's keep believing it. Let's keep experiencing it. Hallelujah. Thomas says, I don't want just a random experience. I want the same experience. Woo. I think there ought to be some same experiences in the, in the house of God. I think there ought to be the same spirit that flows through, ought to flow through our lives. There ought to be a similar experience in each of our lives. Amen. Of course, we see in the, in the book of Acts, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, what is the evidence and the experience of receiving the Holy Ghost? It's speaking in other tongues. That ought to be the common experience when the Holy Ghost shows up. There ought to be a common experience. If it's in the book, you can believe it, you can receive it. And don't settle for somebody else's telling you, listen, and, and if you receive the Holy Ghost, you need to hear yourself speak in tongues. You need to hear yourself speak in tongues. And pray through till you hear yourself speak in tongues. Amen. Why is that important? Not for the sake of speaking in tongues. Listen, you've heard what I've said. Speaking in tongues really is just the doorway to get into the presence of God. It's not the deepest thing in God. Speaking in tongues is not the deep things of God. But you know what it is? It is God's way of giving all humanity the same experience so that you don't have to guess for the rest of your life, did I get the Holy Ghost? Did I receive His Spirit? Did I really experience Him? No. Everybody on the day of Pentecost spoke in tongues. Later in the book of Acts, when the Spirit was poured out, they knew they had received the Holy Ghost because they heard them speak with tongues. 
Listen, there ought to be a similar experience. If it's in the Bible, you need to experience it. Hallelujah. So Thomas wasn't just saying, give me some random experience on my own. He says, give me the same experience. Our salvation message ought to be the same. Our salvation experience ought to be the same. Our doctrine ought to be the same. Let me stop right there. I understand everybody's got a device that you can go online and you can get your opinion fixed really quick based on what you read. But at the end of the day, let me just pastor here for a second. The Word of God's going to settle everything at the end of the day. Google's not the final say. Hello? Google is not the final say of your faith. Let the Word of God be the final say, and therefore, let the Word of God challenge you, convict you, and correct you every once in a while when Google told you something else. Stop filling up your life on a bunch of other stuff and then get to the Word of God and say, well, I question that because I read, oh, what? You're going to put Google up with the Word of God? Let the Word of God be the Word of God. We got to get back to the book, church. I don't care how fancy things get, how technologically advanced things get. We got to get back to the same Word of God. We got to get back to the same Savior that died upon a cross for all of us. Amen. I'm thankful we can have the same experience in the same book with the same doctrine because He gave it to us throughout all time. It's the same. Hallelujah. So we want to follow the Word of God. Amen. Thomas, have your own experience that matches the others. If it's in the book, your experience in Christ ought to match the others. <clears throat> Thomas says, I would see Jesus. I love that. Just show me Jesus. I love you guys, but I need to see Jesus. So the first thing that he has is a personal experience for himself. The second thing that I see in our text today, not only did he have his own personal experience, but his personal experience changed him. It changed him, literally. So the Bible says that after a week later, Jesus joins Thomas and the rest of the disciples in the upper room. Now consider this, John, the gospel writer, is particular and precise on his description of Jesus' arrival. Notice in the scripture that Jesus walks directly up to Thomas the second time. And in so many words, he literally says, Thomas, I'm here for you. And since you said you need to see my hands and see my side, here they are. Take your own look like the other disciples did. You need to have your own experience, your own belief, and your own testimony. Listen, Jesus wants you to have a personal relationship. Why? Because it will change you. It will change you. This idea that doctrine and the Word of God and the Spirit of God never changes us, that's not biblical. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, doctrine is designed to change us. Inherently, it's, it's, it's at, a, at, at a molecular level, that's the very intent of those things, to change us. And so Thomas not only has a personal experience there but it changes him and here's what I want to show you this next moment is so impressive to me because when Thomas gets his own moment with Christ remember he told the disciples except I touch his hands 
and thrust my hand into his side. Remember that? He says it. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we've seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I see his hands, the print of the nails, put my finger into the print and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. That was the bar that Thomas set. I want to be so convinced that I need to do these things to be convinced. That's what he says. But watch what changes when Jesus walks in. Jesus says to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and put uh, uh, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my sight. Jesus is word for word saying to Thomas, do what you said you were going to do. But watch what Thomas does when Jesus says, okay, go ahead and do what you need to do to believe. Watch Thomas's response. Verse 28, and Thomas answered. Bible doesn't say he did any of those things. Jesus said, go ahead and do what you need to do. And this is Thomas's response. So if we're going by the word, we're only going to go with what the word says. It says, he answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Now you could infer he did those things because he said he wanted to do those things. But I can also infer that the Bible doesn't say he ever did those things. He said, I must do those things to be convinced. But when he saw Jesus, everything changed. I submit to you that Thomas saw Jesus' face and it was enough. He didn't have to go micromanage whether the diameter of the hole matched the diameter of the stakes or the spikes. He didn't have to go in and see if the trajectory of the, the, the injury in his side matched that of the, the position of the Roman soldier upon the cross when he thrust his spear. He didn't need to do any of that. He thought he did. But the Bible doesn't say he ever did that. It says as soon as he saw it, he answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. The Bible never says he put his finger into the print of the nail. He says, it never says that he put it into the gaping wound of his side. The Bible says he takes one look at his Savior and saw in his face and says, My Lord and my God. Oh, if this doesn't speak volumes to having a look at Jesus. When you see Jesus for yourself... It changes even your own beliefs. It'll change what you thought had to happen. When you see Jesus for yourself, oh, well, this, that, and the other better happen. And then Jesus walks in. Well, I need this to happen. And, and, and this song needs to play. And I need this certain right, the, the vibe. And I need this and that. And then Jesus walks in. I need to hear a certain message, and I need this to happen on a certain date, and I need all these qualifications. I need, I need, I need, and then Jesus walks in. How many remember when Jesus walked into your life? Everything changed, and everything was different. Aren't you thankful that he didn't get all bogged down in our little list of what needed to happen, but he just enters in and he says, oh, yeah, I'm God. And when he walks in, Peter, or I'm sorry, Thomas doesn't do any of the things that he said he thought he had to do, but he just simply looks at him and he says, my Lord and my God. One look changed everything. He says, my Lord. That's a statement of his position and authority. It's his lordship. It's his dominion. 
his power. He's recognizing the position that he holds. He's looking no longer at a six-foot human man that got tired and got hungry. He views him as his Lord. He views him as above all and in all and through all. He views him as the Lord that would reign before time and in time and after time. He views him as the one who has all authority over death, hell, and the grave. He takes one look at him he says I don't need to touch anything you're my Lord when you see Jesus you'll see him higher <laughs> Isaiah saw him higher high and lifted up in other words Thomas was saying my Lord I can trust you I can follow you. I can subordinate myself to you. I can believe in you. I can stand on you. I can depend on you. And what I was not willing to do based solely on the words of someone else, I can do everything you want me to do just by looking at you. So he said, you're my Lord. You can trust Jesus. You can lean on his everlasting arms. You can depend upon him to make a way where there seems to be no way. That's what he can do because he's Lord. You can rely on him to be a way maker. You can rely on him to be Jehovah Jireh, your provider. You can rely on him to be your sustainer. When nothing else seems to be coming through, Jesus will come through. You can rely on him as your Lord to be <clears throat> your protector. Thomas takes one look at him and he says, Lord, I put my trust in you. But Thomas didn't stop there. He didn't just say, my Lord. He says, my Lord and my God. And I just want to simply say, he took one look at Jesus and he realized he was seeing God. Because Jesus had turned to the disciples at one point earlier in his ministry and he says, how long do I have to be with you before you realize that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? He says, how long is it going to take for you to realize that you're seeing God projected in time? I am him. It wasn't a second person in the Godhead. It wasn't a mini-God. It was God projected in time, robed in flesh. John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Aren't you thankful for a God that came to us? And Thomas takes one look at him. He says, not only is your lordship over my life, but you're God. You're God. Uh -huh. He says, I thought I needed to put my finger in the, the nail hole. I, I thought I needed to see the gaping wound in your side. But just one look at your face convinced me of everything. Your worship, your deity, who you really are. Listen, church, just a look at Jesus. You know what we need more than anything? We don't need more programs. Nothing wrong with programs. We don't need more fun nights, and there's nothing wrong with fun nights. We'll do those things. Nothing wrong with any of it. But you know what we need more than anything? We need to see Jesus again. We need to see Jesus afresh and anew. In the age we're living in, you know what we need more than anything? We need to come and see Jesus we would see Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. So that we, like Thomas, can say, I will put my trust in you. 
in 2021, if we'll get our eyes back on Jesus in 2021, then our lives can be cleaned up just like their lives were cleaned up. When we begin to see Jesus again, it makes us love everybody. Oh, you remember, you remember the night when Jesus came in and took over? You just loved everybody. Why do we get over that? Why, why do we drift away from that? Uh, you know, you get a renewing in the Holy Ghost. You just want to hug everybody. Even the people that get on your nerves. Oh, come here and give me a hug. Right? You know what this world needs more than anything? And no, not a hug. Not that that's bad, but we need Jesus. How about we give him a hug after we get Jesus? We need Jesus, folks. This world needs Jesus. There's a lot of good in the world. I know we focus on the bad. There's a lot of good in the world. And I won't take away from anyone's goodness. But I'm sorry, our goodness will never do what the love of Jesus Christ will do. So keep goodness, keep doing that. In fact, we're told to add goodness to our faith in the New Testament. So keep doing those things, but nothing fixes this world. Nothing fixes your life like the love of Jesus does. So keep your goodness, keep doing those things, keep, keep a, a, a striving for goodness in your life, but please, would you strive for Jesus too? Because goodness alone won't fix this world. Huh. See, a real look at Jesus, it'll make you put down that bottle. It'll make you step away from that addiction. A real look at Jesus will break the yoke of any addiction. You say, how's that possible? Because I know Jesus. How many of us have truly been set free from something? When we came to Jesus. How many. You, it wasn't just a good experience. You were set free from something. That's the kind of meeting we need to have. That's the kind of meeting with Jesus we need to have. You say oh I don't, I don't really have what you're talking about. No. Maybe you've got hidden things though. Maybe you've got things that are far worse than an open addiction. You've got a secret addiction. Maybe far worse than anything that others can see, there's something in our hearts that needs to be freed from. Maybe there's something, and only seeing Jesus will free you from that. Only Jesus. Oh, we need a revival of seeing Jesus. In this day and age, the church needs to see Jesus. Hallelujah, exalted and high. A fresh glimpse of Jesus will make us throw away habits that are just weights in our lives. I know we love to talk about sins, but you know the Bible also talks about weights. Oh, well, that's a sin, and that's a sin, and that's a sin. No, everything's not a sin. But some things are a weight, and they can drag you down. There are some things I've had to walk away from not because they were a sin, not because they necessarily were going to take me to hell, but they were weighing me down as I was running my race and I couldn't keep up and I couldn't be effective. So I shed some things not because they were a sin, but they were a weight. You get a glimpse of Jesus and you'll be willing to lay down even non-sinful things just because they were a weight. that okay? Amen. You get a fresh glimpse of Jesus, we'll stop lying. 
I said, well, stop lying. We don't preach like this very much. There are deeds of the flesh that are supposed to stop when you get Jesus in your life. Stop saying you're blessed and highly favored and then lying about somebody or gossiping about somebody or talking negative behind somebody's back. Did you know the Holy Ghost is supposed to free us from that? A look at Jesus will loose you into a new life in him, and you don't have to do those things anymore. Oh, well, I'm not addicted to those big things. Well, maybe we're addicted to lying. Maybe we're addicted to stealing. Dare I say that? No, surely not. Addicted to what, though? What are we addicted to? Gossiping. Boy, if there's never been a platform like Facebook before to just put the wrong stuff out in public. Do you know everybody has life, quote-unquote life? Everybody's got life. It's where we hang our dirty laundry that matters. So I don't judge anybody because you're going through something. But let's not put it on Facebook or Instagram, or TikTok, or whatever the goofy app is now, that whatever it is, listen, folks, we're so busy feeding every avenue to be heard. You know what? It, we don't need to be heard. We need to see Jesus. We need to stop feeling the need to be so heard, and we need to get alone with Jesus and get a glimpse of him again because everything changes when we see him. Did you know you'll think different when you see him? You'll talk different when you see him. You'll post different when you see him. You'll act different when you see him. You'll talk about others different when you see him because you don't want to displease him. Oh, God, give us a revival of seeing you so that we can be different in our lives. Oh, we need to see Jesus. And the third point I see in Scripture today in our text. Listen, I could end the message right here and it'd be fine, but I'd be leaving out one of the key points that happen, and Jesus points it out. The third thing that happens when Thomas comes to Jesus or vice versa, Jesus comes to Thomas is the blessing of believing. The blessing of believing. You say, what does that mean? Thomas was blessed, Jesus says, because you saw. And the 11 apostles before him believed and they were blessed because they saw. They had all seen Jesus now. But Jesus doesn't end the narrative with Thomas just there. And it's, this isn't a dig at Thomas. This is simply saying, you guys have the luxury of me standing here and you all see what you see and you're able to believe. And Jesus now gives 2021 this nugget of truth and encouragement to us who didn't see him. He says, and Thomas answered and said unto him, verse 28, my Lord and my God, 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Woo. See, not everybody could fit in the upper room that day, but there's a blessing coming. Not everybody had the great uh, fortune to walk with Jesus down the road, but there was a blessing coming. 
Not all believers that would ever come to faith in Christ would see the miracles that he did like the 12 disciples got to see all throughout his ministry. We didn't get to see those things, but there's still a blessing coming. And Jesus says there's a blessing for those that have not seen yet believe. Jesus said, Thomas, you and the others believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those that believe who will not have seen. Listen, church, Jesus says that Thomas and the apostles believed because they saw. But I've come to preach to you today. There's a blessing when you don't see it, but you still believe it. Jesus said the greater blessing, I love you guys and you're going to change the world, but there's a greater blessing coming to a generation that never got to see me, but yet they're going to believe. There's, you guys are blessed and anointed and you're going to do great things, but this next group of people, they're going to, they're going to turn the world upside down because they didn't see and yet they believe. Hallelujah. Jesus says, we are blessed because we believe and have not seen. Those times that you weren't able to see where you were and what was happening clearly in your life, yet you kept believing. Can I encourage somebody today? I don't know what's going on in your life, but keep believing. Jesus says, you're blessed. Stop believing to that, that voice in your ear that says, oh, why don't you throw the towel in? Why don't you quit? I mean, you hadn't seen this in a while, and you hadn't seen that in a while. Listen, Jesus says you're blessed when you haven't seen, yet you keep believing. Can I encourage somebody today? You're low in your faith, and you want to see more things. Would you keep believing today, though? Keep believing. Why is that so important? Because your belief, no demon in hell can take your belief. There's no enemy that can take the blessing that Jesus says on your life. When you believe without seeing, all of hell can't take that away from you. Jesus says you're blessed. No liar can take that from you. The blessing that's on your life, no spirit of doubt or fear can take that from you. I know questions can come in our minds. We're just human. We all are. And if we let those come, they'll get in there and they'll roll around and they'll, they'll stay too long. Listen, we've got to bring under subjection every thought that enters into our head. Just because a thought comes in your head doesn't make you backslid or undone or without God. Come on. But take control over it when it does. It's what we do with it. And there's no imp in hell that can take your blessing when you say, no, I've seen Jesus. It might have been a while, but I've seen him. And I know his presence. See, when you've seen him, there's a blessing that comes on you, even if it's been a while. Jesus says there's coming a day where there's going to be those that haven't seen me, yet they still believe. Stand to your feet today, would you? I'm believing today that we're blessed. We're blessed. Why? Because we've had an experience for ourselves. And if you're here today and you need to renew that experience in Christ, can I just tell you, he's here for you. Come on, Thomas. He's here for you. Oh, I thought he was here for all the, the cool people. Maybe you're the cool people. Maybe, maybe some of us are a little overrated in our own minds. I don't know. Maybe Jesus thinks we're all kind of cool. 
enough that he died for us while we were yet sinners. Oh, Thomas, he loves you. He wants you to have a personal experience with him today. Why does he want you to have that experience? Because it'll change you. What you thought had to happen, throw it out the window. <laughs> Experiencing Jesus will change you. And finally, it'll bless you. When you believe, whether you're seeing everything right now, who here has some things undone in your life? They're not fixed yet. They're not... I saw one post, I, I cracked up by it. It, it says, uh, ducks in a row, question mark. I don't even know where my ducks are. And then recently I saw a picture. It was literally a police car, a traffic light, and some guy snaps a picture, and there are ducks in the back of a police car. He said, I found my ducks. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. We can't even find our ducks, let alone have them in a row. I got good news for you. Jesus loves you. He loves us right where we are, with or without ducks in a row, with or without having everything together, with or without whether we think we're cool or not. Hey, let's, let's not even go there, right? Let's, let's make him cool. Let's make him famous. Amen. Let's make him great. Thomas sees Jesus. He doesn't have to touch him. He didn't have to do any of those things. And Jesus didn't have to jump through any hoop. Jesus just shows up and he says, I'm enough. Let me be enough. Every heart that's here today, heads bowed all over this place. Every heart that's here hearing me today, would you let Jesus be enough? Let him be enough. Set your checklist aside. Check, uh, set your, set your uh, list of what you need, the requirements for this, that, and the other. Listen, rarely does God consult our checklists and complete them. Jesus just walks in and says, Thomas, I'm enough. If you'll make me Lord, I'm enough. Would you make him Lord today? In your own way, as we open up this service at the very end, we always open with prayer, uh, open the altars with prayer at the end of our services. As we move into that time of prayer and seeking God, would you just in your own way begin to make Him Lord in your life? And if there's an area in your life that you need Him to show up, don't feel bad. Don't feel like, oh, I'm asking too much. No. Come on, Thomas, you need to see him for yourself. Don't take somebody else's word for it. See him for yourself. Experience him for yourself. But when he shows up, would you make him Lord? And would you make him God?